Stanley Kubrick's classic Cold War satire, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, was released 50 years ago at a time when worries about nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union were at their height. In the film, a crazed general, seeing a strategic advantage in initiating World War III, sends his bombers to attack Russia and informs the president that he ought to do the same or otherwise risk a total loss. The film's obviously outdated now, but the huge nuclear arsenals that gave weight to the film's premise still exist. Until recently, few have questioned the safety of the United States' weapons. After a series of high-profile incidents, that's beginning to change. Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is Nicholas Roth, a research associate at the Project on Managing the Atom here at the Kennedy School's Belfer Center and fellow at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. Nicholas, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I think the popular opinion is that the United States nuclear arsenal is guarded by some of the best people and the best systems in the world. Um, but Dr. Strangelove seemed especially relevant given the recent case with uh, General Michael Carey, who was the commander of the U.S. Intercontinental Missile Force um, and was relieved of his duties after an incident in Russia. Can, can you actually explain what happened there? Sure. I, I think it's important to identify that uh, the kind of incidents that we're talking about, this incident with, with General Kerry, um, are, are sort of, they're not isolated incidents. There's, there's a long history uh, in the United States of accidents and uh, problems with, in, within the nuclear force. But I, I think what you're asking about, um, the sort of most immediate problems um, began, or at least the public revelations about them began, in May of last year, um, when uh, a number of missile crews who work on ICBMs were uh, deemed unfit and decertified, and a wing commander described what uh, a problem with rot in the ICBM force. Um, as the year went on, there were a series of additional revelations. Um, some uh, some folks who, who worked on on ICBMs described feeling uh, burnout and uh, dead end jobs and not being appreciated. Um, there were higher rates of spousal abuse um, and, and uh, reports and investigations of uh, drugs and, and reports of drinking. Um, and then the, there's this incident of uh, General Kerry, who during uh, an official trip to Russia, actually to do a, a drill on uh, securing nuclear weapons with Russian counterparts, um, there, there was sort of a, a series of uh, incidents where um, he, he was seen as drinking excessively, um, speaking with um, some, some people in Russia that, that he, he may or may not should have been speaking to. And I think there were questions about um, whether, whether, he should, whether he should have been in, uh, participating in those activities. Um, and, and, and as a result, there was an investigation and he was relieved of that command. What we're now finding out in the last week, and I think the more the more concerning events are uh, dozens of, of missile launch officers being implicated in a cheating scandal um, related to whether they know how to operate the weapons. Um, and actually, yesterday it was revealed that twice as many uh, as as many as sixty uh, in the range of sixty um, uh, uh, Air Force members. Uh, 
have been implicated in this cheating ring about operating nuclear weapons. So, so when you talk about this cheating scandal, it seems like those were kind of focused on, um, or the the tests that they were talking about. We're talking about kind of missile launch capacity, the, these kinds of things. Were they? Uh, is it limited to just our ability to use the nuclear weapons, or is it actually beyond that, or is, is it the safety of the weapons themselves to outside, you know, stolen or hacked to, you know, that kind of thing? Well, I think that's a really important question and something that isn't talked about enough right now, which is what exactly are the consequences of the kinds of reports that we're hearing? I think there are some immediate conclusions that one can draw. For instance, this example of, of General Kerry, um, and, and before you had said that that there's a perception that that U.S. nuclear security is the best in the world, I think that's probably, if not the best, it's among the best in the world. We have, um, you know, between the Russia and the United States, uh, both countries have ni- more than 90% of the world's nuclear weapons, um, and and I think given the amount of nuclear weapons we have, there is a high level of security. But I think it it raises two issues: one, that this is a teachable moment, um, that uh, it, it demonstrates, one, what can potentially happen if there's complacency within, uh, w- with, with, within the people whose job it is to uh, provide security for nuclear weapons or nuclear materials. Um, and then, and then the, the other aspect is, is it shows how difficult it is to maintain a high level of security. And um, we're going to have this stuff for a very long time. Right. Nuclear weapons are infamous for that. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and I mean, it's particularly concerning, and I, th- I think this is, so, again, something that, that doesn't get talked about enough, is it only takes one in- g- Given the enormous destructive power of a nuclear weapon, um, and arguably the most destructive weapons on Earth, um, if mistakes happen, it's good that they're corrected. But it only takes one mistake. It only takes one serious mistake for there to be what you know could be a catastrophic uh, event on on a global scale. Mm-hmm. So, do we know the um, exact the extent to which this is a concern? I mean, that dynamic between you know the safety of the stockpile versus our ability to actually use them is. Do we know what this affects? Well, well, I think. There are a couple indications that show this is a serious issue. Um, the first is that uh, the Secretary of Defense is um, conducting a review of the U.S. nuclear mission, um, and and members of Congress, the the uh, chair of the uh, House Armed Services Committee, has weighed in. So it's really being elevated to the highest levels of the U.S. government and U.S. officials. So I think that gives us an indication of how serious a situation this is. Now, you mentioned the Russian government. Obviously, there are a number of countries with nuclear weapons, um, and all of them have this giant task of keeping them safe. Have governments been able to work with each other to develop some kind of best practices for uh, nuclear safety? Well, there are examples of the United States working with other countries um, to provide technology to secure uh, nuclear weapons. There have been examples of the United States sharing uh, technology with Pakistan, um, I, I believe the UK as well, um, and, and Russia and the United States actively have uh, cooperate, you know, cooperate, uh, cooperative agreements um, where they work together not just on uh, the security of nuclear weapons, but improving the culture at the facilities that house the nuclear weapons. So there are examples, um, and, and frankly, there should be more examples, um, 
where countries are working together to, uh, to, to secure not just the weapons, but the materials as well. And I'd point out that, that, um, that uranium and plutonium, the, really the, the, the central components of a nuclear weapon, um, the, the materials that, those materials that are kept under military control, there's a, you know, there's a lot of security uh, around it. And, and we've seen what some of the problems are with that security. But there's a lot of material out there as well that is in civilian use that doesn't have the kind of security that uh, we're seeing some of the problems with as well. And so I think that's also a major area that needs to be, well, that, that President Obama has been addressing over the last four years, but that there needs to be a sustained effort and, and an increased effort to focus on. Of course, President Obama, since his, you know, since he first came into office, uh, has been talking about nuclear nonproliferation as uh, one of the most important things uh, that he's been focused on. Is there any sense that these these problems that have been have, happening for the last seven months or so, any any ideas that uh, uh, they will be hurting his ability to do that on an international stage? Well, President Obama has, uh, for the last four years, really had a focus, um, what's called his Prague Agenda, on nuclear security and nuclear nonproliferation. Um, he, the, the, he was able to successfully negotiate a treaty between Russia and the United States that lowered the limits for both countries for nuclear weapons. He's had a four-year goal to secure vulnerable nuclear material. And, and as I said before, I think events like this um, are, if, can be used as a teaching moment for the United States to say, yes, we, um, we're not always perfect. We make mistakes. Here's how we fix them. Here are the series of steps that we can take to fix them. And, and you know, really work with other countries and talk to other countries about doing the same. Are you confident that um, this teaching moment will, you know, be taught? I mean, will the changes, necessary changes be made? It, it really remains to be seen. Um, it, it, it depends what the kinds of things that the uh, Secretary of Defense are, is going to look at when um, when he does this review. There was actually an incident in, uh, I believe it was 2007, um, where uh, n- nuclear weapons were mistakenly flown across the United States, and another incident where uh, nuclear weapons components were accidentally shipped to Taiwan. And a review was done within the Air Force to look at some of the structural problems and accountability problems uh, that could be addressed to prevent that. And I think it's clear that uh, whatever review and report that they did at that time, more needs to be done. So if it's a um, if it's just skimming the surface, the review, I think that they're going to have problems. But if it's really a an in-depth look at the United States nuclear mission, um, is it is is it adequate? Is it oversized? Um, are the right resources going into the right things? And also, a, an important question is. How do you maintain security of nuclear weapons and nuclear materials in a world that thinks these are less and less important, um, increasingly less and less important? So uh, one of the things that you had said before was that you know these nuclear weapons are going to be here and they're going to be here for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that seems like kind of a, a admission that you know we're not going to be reducing these enormous stockpiles, especially in the United States and Russia, anytime soon. Is that what you think, or do you so, think that... So, so actually, w- what I actually meant was uh, the nuclear material is going to be al- around for okay. a long time. Uh, plutonium has a half-life of 25,000 right. years. Uranium has a half-life of three-quarters of a billion years. Of course. Um, 
the we're going to have to provide security for weapons grade weapons usable materials mm-hmm. um, as long as that material is in existence. So regardless of what the prospects are for reductions or uh, or, or, or treaties, um, the, the material itself is going to need to be guarded. But to answer your question about the, the, the weapons themselves, I think the United States has options um, for reductions. Uh, the United States can unilaterally reduce its nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons stockpile, which is something that uh, the first Bush administration did in the early 90s. Um, so that it that nuclear reductions don't just have to be done um, within a treaty uh, legally binding treaty con- uh, context between Russia and the United States. So um, there are options available. Do you think they're they're likely in the at least near future? It remains to be seen. I, I really think that it will come down to the president needs to feel that uh, there's it's in his political interest to make those reductions and and where that uh, political pressure comes from, we need to see. But I think there's an opportunity. And in terms of the long-term uh, future of both the, the weapons and the material itself, uh, you mentioned before kind of a uh, balance between a technology and a culture of uh, security. Um, is there one that's more important? Have we kind of reached a point where technology is there, but the culture hasn't backed it up? Or Well, I, I think what it tells us is that you need to have both, and you can never be complacent about nuclear security. Even countries that have the resources to protect nuclear weapons and nuclear material need to have staff and guards who uh, who take this seriously. Um, you know, one way of uh, helping that process along is um, to let those who work with nuclear weapons and nuclear materials to understand what the threat is, what the consequences are, um, if they're not doing their jobs properly. Another uh, possible um, you know, thing they could do to improve, the, 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 to decrease the likelihood of this happening in the future would be to share information, to have a database about um, these types of events and lessons learned from these events. Um, but the other part is that there, need to, there needs to be independent assessments and there needs to be constant review of what um, of, of whether security is adequate and what's needed at these facilities. And perhaps, as Jack Ripper might say, less fluoridation in the water. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Nicholas Roth, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu policycast. And join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Mm-hmm.